What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, Craig and I are fired up to, you know, we were fired up the first time when we had him on, but now to have a repeat, it seems like I'm pinching myself all over. Today, we have the internationally well-known dentist, Dr. Miguel Stanley, back for more. Popular demand it was, actually, Miguel. I got, I got lots, of, uh, lots of comments that you guys better bring him back on because we want more. Um, but he has to well, fix three of microphone. those people actually got back to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it was all, four, four of them. All 10 listeners, actually, two of the 10 actually responded in kind. And I also, I also have to say, well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Um, we did our first one way before the COVID uh, mm-hmm. outbreak, and I had so much fun with you guys. Um, that was BC, had- before COVID. Yeah, now we're, now we're AC. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> ACBC. Um, but um, I had so much fun with that. And, and, and we, we came up with some really cool uh, hashtags from that, from that chat. And uh, it empowered me. And I, and I also got amazing feedback on this side of the pond. And uh, quite frankly, guys, just so much fun to talk to you. Always insightful. And not just that, it's like the more I understand that what you guys are doing over there in the US and what we're doing over here in Europe um, now more than ever, if, if, if there were differences, BC, you know, uh, um, uh, after this, we've got to be on the same page. You know? We so. are for sure. For sure. Um, so let's talk about that. Let's, what, what have you seen? Like, obviously since we haven't, we, we, it's been what three or four months since we, we spoke and a lot's changed in the world. What is your, uh, where's, where's your head at right now? Um, so let's get some context here. Um, for those that are listening to us for the first time, I run a, a single practice uh, that has seven dental units in it. We're a comprehensive, advanced dentistry, so digital. We have our in-house lab, very self-sufficient. We do implants, cosmetic, prosto, perio, ortho. Um, you know, a lot of big, full arch, interdisciplinary cases, and that's that's what I like to do, and that's why I keep it simple. And I've never branched out because. I had headaches running this place, let alone running more than one. But that's mm-hmm. my personal choice. And with that, um, we were the first clinic in the country to shut down um, before three days before it was mandated by the government. I think that it was on the 13th of March. Uh, why? Because uh, I'd actually, so I did the midwinter in Chicago and people were starting to talk about it. I went out there to lecture for the American Prosto Society great it was the last conference i had and in the meantime what sucked is all my big conferences have been canceled around the globe so my heartfelt uh warmest hugs and and you know support goes to all the hard-working men of women and all those folk that have put all their energy into putting uh these events together that have seen their hard work shattered by this um, there's a lot of colleagues that, you know, depend on a second income from the lecture circuit. They put so much effort and time and energy into it. And they've seen that being pulled out from under their feet. And, um, there's no, 
there's no vision when it's going to come back, you know? So I'm very lucky that I have a practice where that's where I make my, my living from. And, uh, you know, but it's been really tough having all of that canceled as well. But getting back to this, we shut down because as we came back from um, Chicago, things were starting to, in Europe, Italy was starting to like kick off. And it's kind of like now in retrospective, in hindsight, you start seeing the, the graphics of the countries and, you know, so Italy was kicking off and stupidly, I, I, I went to Madrid on the 6th I of I saw March. that. I saw you go to Madrid right in the, in the hole. I was like, Sorry. what? Because I think Peggy, Peggy Brown went as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I saw you guys like posting in Madrid. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Christian, you know, Christian Coachman, when he, when he puts something together and he, 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 you know, these things are organized six, seven months, you know, in, in advance. And he had organized a DSD master's day for the top DSD guys in the world. And there were people flying in from all over the world to come to this event in Madrid. And I texted him like three days before. I'm like, dude, seriously, you know, I mean, Italy is kind of kicking off. And he's like, no, Madrid's fine. And this shows how little information anybody was getting. Right. I mean, and just three days before I, or four days before I was in, 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 in Chicago at the midwinter, that huge trade show, you know, so well, that's when our bulletproof practice was going down our summit. We sneaked we, right in there. There we Remember, go. Like it was March. What, what was it? It was February 28th uh, to March 1st that we talked about you stopping by after, I know, but I, but I saw I, you in Spain. Exactly. I'm like, what? You guys could have gotten a lot of uh, publicity from that meeting. Remember how there was like meetings being publicized? Like there was a, a biomedical conference in Boston area that was, you know, known but to be I, a hotbed. I heard that that meeting that you guys held, uh, I heard that it was Tony Robbins level, man. It was emotional. People were like that you've changed their, I can't wait to go to, to go to one of those. And I'm dying to, I really am dying to work with you guys uh, in any capacity. I, I'll be a water boy just to be, yeah, I'm, I honestly, I am. I, I can't wait for, for travel to open up again. I'm coming to hang out with you. But getting back to this, I flew back to, I flew to Madrid against my, and I wore a mask. It was the first time I'd ever wore a mask at the airport, feeling like an idiot. But my wife, you know, obliged me to do it because we, we had at the time a one month old baby in the house. Yeah. And I live with my mother-in-law who's actually, you know, she's got health issues and stuff, but we didn't really know what the hell was going on. And I flew I did this event, hugging everybody, all of that, and flying. I flew back the next day on the 7th, and then we saw Madrid kick off. Oh, God, I saw that. And Spain kicked off, and I'm like, holy shit, have I, got, have I got it? Have I got it? Do I get tested? Don't I get tested? I've already kissed my wife. I've kissed my kids, so what's the point? Let's just... And then I'm like, you know what? We're quarantining, and that's when we, we decided to do it. Thankfully, everybody's been okay. Everybody on my team, uh, I had to furlough you know, about 20 people, uh, very, very difficult with the governments, with the banks, with the loans. Um, um, you know, I had a lot of practice owners from all around the world calling me because I posted on the internet saying we we're shutting down on my, my social media. So I got a bunch of guys calling me. Why are you doing that, man? You're sending out the wrong message. Tell people to be cool. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to be cool. Be cool, man. Be cool. <laughs> Well, like nothing's going on, Miguel. Why, if you don't acknowledge it, it might go away. Like, what are you talking? Just, just be cool, man. Yeah. And uh, I was like, dude, man, I, I just, I, ha we have to set the example and uh, play it safe. We don't know how big this is going to get, and look how big it did get. And you know, uh, just for the record, 
a lot of good people have lost, you know, family members and loved ones, and my heart goes out to them. And um, I'm, uh, that's public information, but uh, one of the top perio guys in the world, uh, um, Giulio Rasperini, who I had the pleasure of doing a webinar with him and the new dean-elect of Harvard Dental School, uh, Will Gianoboli, uh, about two weeks ago, um, he lost both his parents 24 hours apart. Yeah, in Italy, right? Yeah, in Italy, Milan. So I mean, this is real. This is it's it's uh, it's it's tough. So, um, but having said that, it's it's been tough. I've gone through every single emotion, as you know, to the ultimate shutting down my business. Um, you know, hey, this, can, this was the post that that was the hard one for you to do, right? Yeah. Probably. So I remember, so actually I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. And I didn't tell you this, but like you prompted me to kind of do the same thing. I don't know if you used the, the term, but I did the same. I don't know if you coined this, but you were like, look, I want to be part of the solution, not the problem. Did you, did you, did you say that in that post? Like it's kind of probably, looks, but probably, although yeah. that sentence is not mine, of course, but, but yeah, I mean, we have, we have to all stick together and you know, I, I know I inspired a lot of people to, you know, because we were one of the first. And I think as leaders, like you guys are as well, we need to set examples, you know. And um, I think it was the New York Times that had come out with an article saying that we were at the highest risk, you know, because of all the aerosols and stuff. Yeah, now, right. I think we should get into that because I have had webinars with some of the biggest thought leaders in the world on the topic. There's a lot of evidence out. Uh, a lot of science regarding that, and we should, we should definitely discuss that. But back at the beginning, we thought, you know, we had a different idea of what was going on, and panic set in. So uh, I think it was the right thing to shut them down at the beginning, at, you know, just for to get information. Mm -hmm. What I thought was very bad on a global level, and again, hindsight's easy, but what I learned answering your question is that we've done a shit job protecting our profession. And let me oh, explain Oh, God, why. yes. From organized me, dentistry down. Let me explain why. In most countries around the world, clinics, dental clinics, were put in the same category as hair salons. Mm -hmm. Not primary care, not important, not nothing. Oh, but okay, yeah, if you have a toothache, you can go to the dentist. Or if you're bleeding, or if you're in a... I remember I spoke to you, Craig, to help me out with the patient. Thank you so much. You were very gracious uh, uh, enough to, 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 to help. Ended up not being necessary, but thank you for helping me with that. But when you said, what was it in Florida? Patients could only go for what? Well, it was the idea was to lessen the burden from the hospital system. That was the genesis of the rules. So as if your patient would other, otherwise need to go to the hospital, if not seeing you, we can't further burden the medical system because it's going to be so stretched that you could take care of those people. That's the spirit. But day after we shut down, I get a phone call from a patient saying, my temporary PMMA over the eight implants that you paced of my $60,000 dental treatment has just fractured down the middle and it's wobbling and it's cutting my lip and I can't chew. Your, your government supposedly wouldn't have even understood that. Mm -hmm. I think that the, in the well, government- Pain, pain. They, they, they loosely defined it as pain. 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 So in the governments around the world, I think that uh, we've, the, the FDI, all the big dental- have yet failed to explain to governments how important dentistry is in overall health and also reducing stress levels, improving your immune system, improving your chewing, 
I mean, you know, if, you're, if you've got anxiety about your oral health, we understand how that can affect your immune system and many, many other things. So I was very saddened to see how we, you know, we were disrespected by many, many countries around the world. We dentists. Some great examples. Germany. Germany didn't shut down at all. Uh, Sweden. Like even known, routine, even routine nothing. cleanings and everything. Germany, so Germany, people get in their teeth. Stayed open. Stayed open. Interesting. Open for business. Yeah, in Sweden and a few other countries uh, that did that. Uh, Korea. So Korea pretty much open, but the measures that they had, they had a lot more support. So I think, you know, on a, on a different discussion, it showed a lot of weaknesses and strengths of our governments, but that's other discussions. Um, and then, you know, we just took it day by day, trying to understand how big this was going to get. And I jumped into doing a, a bunch of free online webinars, which I made available on miguelstanley.com. If anybody wants to go and check them out on some of my philosophies, I wanted to contribute. And then I started, because I created Slow Dentistry, um, I started, which five years ago, in the last five years on my lecture circuit, I've been advocating a minimum turnaround time in between patients. And I've discussed this even with you guys and what have you. And, and so all of a sudden people are like, hey, <laughs> you've been saying it for I don't know how long. So I got invited to do an overwhelming amount of webinars and hearing and listening to people. So now it's slowly winding. We're winding out of this, at least the first phase. I'm not that scared anymore. I had patients throughout the entire, we, we shut down our Google campaigns. You know, everybody does marketing. We shut it down and I'm like, Hey, lock down the banks. Yeah, no money. Peter and I did out. that. Let's, Peter you know, and I did that. You know, I didn't do the toilet paper run. I'm very proud of myself because well, we it's have, you're, you have bidets. Yeah. We have bidets in the house. Yeah, But had you been in, had you been in the States, you would have been at Chick-fil-A and Target all day long. Trust me. Driving See, your pickup truck. I was like, why? What's I was laughing my head off. But anyway, um, so I'm not that scared anymore. And it's really weird. You actually got to understand the, you know, you have as dentists, we shouldn't be doing it, but there's stereotypes. Of, well, there's stereotypes of patients. We know that. And I actually had this very funny wheel of, uh, uh, of, you know, all the different types of patients, but our, our clear aligner patients all wanted to come in and get their yeah. aligners. They Big didn't. time. They were the most demanding of all my patients. They're like, I've been in the same aligner for four months, four exactly. weeks. This is ridiculous. And the other people that have pain are like, yeah, I'll just deal with it. You know, you, you had that as well. It's extraordinary. That's that for me was the biggest surprise. Clear aligner patients didn't care about COVID hygiene, yeah. prophylaxis, just basic hygiene. They wanted to come in and do their hygiene. I thought that was incredible. We had a lot of patients, new patients booking uh, to come and get a first appointment. Non, of course, we told them, no, that's not essential. That's not, you know, but we had a lot wanting to book. What we did do during the lockdown was re or, you know, reprogram our marketing to safety. And we were already quite a strong safe space. We put on extra measures of safety. Some of them scientifically for show others essential let's be realistic you know putting on a, 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 an acrylic visor at your reception if your receptionist is wearing a face mask you know it's it, it's Look kind over of the top. you just put your head to the side you know so some things haven't been thought out others have you know so we just 
sandwiched everything and we're doing, we look like the astronauts here. But here's the good news. We then sent out, as they allowed us to come back to work, uh, following specific guidelines that I definitely ask everybody to adhere to, at least until things start, you know, winding down, um, that we sent an email saying we're open for business. The, uh, the response was overwhelming, overwhelming. Like, I mean, people want to get back to work. People my my, you know, not dentists, patients want to get back to the dental chairs and have business as usual. So I don't know if this is just cabin fever working and people wah, wanting to do whatever, or is this, I, I, I don't know. And I'd like to discuss that, but right now I'm having, I'm a lot more relaxed. Yeah, me too, by the way. I, I've gone through the whole emotional roller coaster of every bit of emotion from the first week, crying by myself, thinking about letting go of my entire team, um, breakdown and not sleeping to fear of, you know, what I was seeing. I was consuming a shit ton of media. And I don't know what it's like in Portugal, but if it bleeds, it reads here. And it's just insane. When if you if you steadily consume that you'll think that it's literally a zombie apocalypse coming and now slowly through this you know the 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 hospital system didn't get overrun at least in my area i know it's very geospecific so i don't want to paint in broad brush strokes but our but our our response to it from a government and organized dentistry standpoint has been global when actually it's really more of a local issue mm-hmm. um and um i i see that now too we sent out the email we're back from business for may 11th for monday and there's a ton of people wanting to get in. And I just think it's people wanting to get to normalcy. People want their haircut. They want, they miss their lives. And it's the human spirit, the human, this defies the human spirit. You can't live under a rock. Human beings have always ventured out. I mean, for God's sakes, they get on spaceships and go to the moon. That's probably the most dangerous place. So they drive fast, they smoke cigarettes and they speed. And I mean, it's, I don't, I, I think that people are going to be very anxious to return to some degree of normalcy and, and God forbid, if a second wave does come, um, I think it could be interesting because people will, will venture out despite those warnings. I think people are over it. I really do believe that. Um, I, I, and I, I'm very, right now I'm very confused, but I'm not fearful, which is interesting space. Yes. I'm confused and unfearful. I was confused and fearful before. And I, I think that, you know, you have to under, understand different degrees. I mean, uh, there's, imagine if you are a single hygienist, for example, that works in multiple locations or even in a single clinic um, and you don't own the practice and you have been working for X amount of years by yourself and you hear that uh, the ultrasound is the highest generator of aerosols um you know this is the other spectrum so there's different types of fears as business owners and dentists you have the sandwich of should i fear for my health and my business uh you know but then you've got the other dentists and we're at a position where we've got different types of of demographics listening to us you know so and with i actually consider the dental hygienist to be one of the most important key people in any practice and one of the things that was recurring over all of the discussions that I was having was, you know, we've also got to think about the little people, excuse my language. I, I, I mean, the, the not business owners. I've had, I had meetings and everybody's worried about the businesses. And I think that if you can keep the, the, the people in your practice, so the, 
the 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 people that come and you know tidy up and do the cleaning and just your your the vendors the 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 people that come and sell you your implants and you know yeah, all the support those, folks the whole the whole ecosystem mm-hmm. you know the dental assistants the nurses the lab people uh, I spent quite a lot of time talking to those people and I found that you know we have a very big ecosystem around you know the practice owner or the practice manager or the you know the the the, the top surgeons and I, I i think that the more solid and stable they are emotionally throughout this whole thing the better we will be uh, as well you know it's kind of like we feed off them and much like i don't know if, if like you craig but for the first three weeks I, I took the brunt of it myself and i was like because we're so used to being the decision makers and when I started sharing my feelings and emotions with the rest of the team from a, you know, at a human level, talking about my stress, it, 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 it helped quite a bit. So yeah, think- me too. I was doing a lot of zoom. I would do like a live Facebook video every single day. Yeah. Um, and some days were bright and some days were dark, but I shared it all. I, I had no problem. And, um, with yeah. that, um, it's true though. It's true. It's, we don't have to keep it all corked up. All right, all right. We hope everyone is getting massive value from listening to this podcast. If you are, we're going to ask a couple things in return. First, review us on iTunes. If you don't know how to do that, the easiest way is to pick up your phone, open the podcast app, click on the album art, and then scroll all the way through the episodes, and you'll see review at the bottom. Go ahead and bang out the stars that we deserve. Second thing, if you haven't signed up for our text uh, list to get notified of special offers or the next summit or whatever it may be, uh, make sure to text the words bulletproof to 33777. That's 33777 and the word is bulletproof. Third thing is we've got the book, as most of you all know, but we've also got the audible version that Dr. Spodak spent three days in studio and it was an arduous task and he crushed it. He really should be an, an audible book reader. And last, if you haven't heard, uh, we've got an amazing deal with Merchant Cost Consulting, and it's for processing, and it's a uh, check out that episode. But if you want to get hooked up with that deal, make sure to uh, go to the landing page, bulletproofdiscounts.com. That's it, everyone. Hope you're having a great day, and we'll see you soon. It's been tough. I, I, I'm going to say, like, last week, I had a, almost a mental breakdown, and it's just like, because always trying to be positive and happy. And sometimes it's just, it's very, very overwhelming, you know, and I, something triggered me. Uh, it was, I don't know, a patient coming in and just not understanding, just uh, being a, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say names, but some patients can be assholes. And, you know, what I understood throughout this was that the measures, you know, we would bend over backwards to accommodate patients, to not upset them, you know, difficult patients. Now through this, man, I had this difficult guy. I basically said, just, you know, get out of here. If you, if you don't understand that these safety measures and I, I, these extra measures of precaution are yeah, not yeah. here to protect you. They're here to protect me and my team, you know, and not just you. And that was something that also I thought was quite important to understand. Let me ask you both something since you both kind of ascribe to the same methodology of like being vulnerable and sharing tears and all this stuff. And I'm thinking like, aren't we glad that like, and that's great. If I'm like countering that leadership with like thinking about coaches and generals and like, if I saw a general cry and be like, I'm really scared about this battle we're about to go into his troops. 
what would that do to the troops? So I'm, I'm wondering, like, is it empathy, empathy, you know, empathetic leadership versus like, like William Wallace? And where, where should dentistry go? Because I didn't do the whole, I'm scared. I said, we got, you know, and, and maybe, maybe my leadership skills are lacking. So, you know, no. I look up to bo- looking up to both of you and you both were like, Hey, I you, you had times and I showed my vulnerability and all these things. You got it. I'm a Pisces. I think it's because of that. <laughs> the most important thing I think is that whatever you're doing, if you feel people can set people fee, uh, believe what, or people feel what you believe internally. So mm-hmm. if you're there and you're crying and saying, oh, I'm such a freaking wimp. I can't, I'm so scared. People will feel that. And, and, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I think authenticity is what makes a great leader. Leaders come in all sizes. There is the William Wallace and there's the Stephen Hawking who's, you know, mm-hmm. who has no voice and then crippled in a wheelchair and he inspires many and there's mother Teresa. And, and I think leadership, the mistake we yeah, make but inspiration is inspiration and leadership are two different aspects of what I'm trying to say. No, right. in I, leader oh, is I, meaning people are following you. I, I would I would agree with you, you know, and uh, with you, look again. I think that everything in its proportion. I think you can be. I guess my my sense is in the sense of an enemy. In the sense of an enemy, yeah. In a sense, in a, in the presence of an enemy, do you want someone who's like we're about to beat that ass, or like I'm really scared? We're going to beat that ass. Yeah. Winner. And, I, and it was the unknown enemy, right? The unknown opponent, the team, the coach, the, the, the army, you know? I, my, I guess my moment of weakness came once I realized we were going to be okay. I think it was more a release. I wasn't scared at the beginning, you know? And let's, let's I don't know. If As was I, by the way. I was really, I was blasting out, that, like, we're going to beat this. This is going to, you know, take Craig, some yeah, time, yeah. but I'm not worried. Yeah, but then I you pivoted, worried. Craig. But then you pivoted. You pivoted into more of like uncertainty. Like well, I, I was uncertain around like what to do with my team. I did the calculations and X number of weeks was half a million dollars. And I was, you, you had an interest because Pete and I were very connected during, you know, we're, we're very close friends, but we're talking all the time. And Pete, you withdrew, you pulled back. You're like, I can't do, you shut down. I mean, That's I love you, I but you, you just, yeah. I, he just shut down. And I can't shut down. I'm an emotional person. I don't want to withdraw. And well, I don't know what's right or wrong, but I was aware that, you know, I can't be, you know, I can't be fearful and I can't be, you know, teary. But, you know, listen, I don't mind. I'm the guy who's cried from stage. I don't really care. You know what I mean? And you're talking to, you know, and, and I'm sure Miguel's probably cried from stage as well. And I know. I've had all emotions. I actually, you know, even with you guys, you know, we show some of these emotional cases that we do, you know, and sometimes I connect with the story and I, I, I tear up, man, but um, definitely want to be a warrior when the shit hits the fan. And I had a, I had a situation in 2010 that kind of prepared me for the battle. And it's, I think it's important in terms of leadership to understand this because in 2010, I had to file for bankruptcy. Um, I had a 24,000 square foot practice I was making about half a million uh, dollars a month turnover uh, doing teeth. You know, it was, this was Facebook had just kicked in in 2008 or nine, you know, because I had TV shows in Portugal. I had a huge practice Mm -hmm. before this and I was flying high, you know, I was a high roller, all of that. And then my accountant embezzled pretty much everything that I had as I just leveraged myself with the banks to the loan to build this brand new practice. 
subprime hits, market contracts. And then as I'm going to realize the guy pulled the carpet out from under me by embezzling, he got a four-year jail sentence. But what I'm saying is that in 2011, I had to file for chapter 11 or bankruptcy and I had to shut down that practice. And so that's nine years ago, I went through this horrible exercise of losing everything and rebuilding from scratch. Now, I did that alone. Yes, the financial markets globally had collapsed. So a lot of businesses were going out of business. So I didn't feel like so much of a failure, but mine was compounded by the theft. So I felt singled out and the whole world's against me, whatever. And I had two ways to go. One, put on some boxing gloves and fight or just wither away and go work somewhere else. I think the results are, you know, where I'm working today and what I've done with the last nine years of my life. And what happened with that extraordinary event, which I don't wish on anyone, was that it really prepared me for this kind of thing, you know? And so at the same time, losing this, it's not the end of the world. Right. There's no shame in losing your business when the world is on fire. I mean, you have to understand that. So I, I think that it's also a, a hope. I hope that a lot of people looking back can say that they acted dignified yeah. and they treated people well and they didn't go, you know, like I saw some of these streamlined videos of punching people in the face for toilet paper, but in their clinics, you know, cause you don't come back from that. You understand what I'm no, saying? That no. metaphor, you don't come back from that. You, you, you done messed up if you've created. Yeah, an that lives forever. <laughs> so I heard some really good things from a lot of good people saying, look, if we're going down, we're all going down together, that kind of stuff. So I think, and I hope this was a great time for business owners and clinic owners to consolidate their teams, to, you know, show leadership. I hope I did it. Uh, I know that some days I, I I, as we were speaking, I showed weakness, but since most of my team have been with me for, you know, over 15 years, you know, we, we've done a lot of this together. So this for us was just a, a second round at, at, at hardship for different reasons. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you guys talk about that in Bulletproof, you know, it's uh, um, almost everything in your book will kind of, it's like a, 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 a blueprint for how to manage you know, success. Yeah, but from different, but like from different approaches. And that's what I think makes, you know, if Craig and I were, were, were carbon copies of each other, I think it'd be far less interesting, but we have different leadership styles. We have different methodologies. We have, we have a lot of similarities, but, but we have just enough differences where, where certain examples resonate in a certain way. Like some, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of people listening that was like, yeah, I'm more of the empathetic leader and I want to lead by being vulnerable to my team. And there's other people being like, I want to be William Wallace, right? Well, and the so, problem is, is there's downside to both, Pete. Of course, so, of course so that's, there is. You know, and, and, and no, I know, but we we tend to like, ah, oh, I wish I could have been more like Pete on that, or I wish I could be more like Miguel on that, or whatever. But it's it, it's you. You got to do you, and I think it's really important. That, but he was saying that, that about the bulletproof, right? And and how no. and and so I think that's where where his popularity is, is because it gives we're definitely honest with our feelings, and we're just so different. And it and Craig we've both been successful to our own regard in completely different patterns almost. And, um, and I think one resonates, you know, and people who come to our summit or listen to the podcast, they can grab onto something and be like, let me try that. Cause that really resonates with me as opposed to just like this dogmatic way of me being me, right. Or the dogmatic way of you being you. 
Like there's a diff there's contextual difference. And I think empathy can dilute your leadership. It's a very dangerous thing because empathy means consensus, hearing people's feeling and they're, you know, trying to understand everybody's viewpoint. And sometimes well, that can be a trap. Sometimes people confuse kindness for weakness. Of course. Right? Yeah. Or, no, no. So, I, I think sometimes confuse uh, benign, benevolent dictatorship with democracy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you go. No, there you go. It's a benevolent dictatorship here at work, okay? <laughs> That's still my way or the highway, you know? So. With, with, a dash of with a dash of democracy. Look, we, we care what you think, but yeah. at the end of the day, you, it's my dictatorship. Yeah. Hey, hey, what do you guys want to do? Oh, that sounds interesting. We're not doing that. Thanks yeah, for we're going to do my like way. We're doing it my Ooh. way. What was, that one, what was that one you had? Uh, you had uh, the actor, the, the Iron Man guy. Uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Robert Downey Jr. It's like you see him driving a car and it's like, when anybody, you know, when you ever disagree with somebody, just say yes and do whatever the fuck you were going to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually pretty good advice. <laughs> Craig, we need to get him on the podcast. Can you make, can make that happen? Miguel, yeah. you probably know him. Like, and get him on yeah, the podcast. You, you, look, you look a little like him. You remind me you of him. You do look, Robbie. Yeah. You're much taller than him, though. Yeah. Where's my son? Oh, I definitely am taller than him. But I, I, when I, I lived in LA for a while, it was 10 years ago, I was a lot younger then and I had more hair. You're the Portuguese Tony Stark. And I was sitting in the back of- Antonio a Stark, car. is that what it says? <laughs> I, had, I had my goatee and I was sitting in the back of a car in LA traffic and the car was, um, was a Rolls Royce, don't ask why. And I'm sitting in the back of this car and the window's down and I'm in traffic and I swear to God, I was like, I'm not, I'm not Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> What's funny is listening to Miguel downplay the, like, the, the random occurrence that he was in the back seat of a Rolls Royce. Yeah, it was Royce. very random. I was and being chauffeured so in, in, in a Rolls Royce. Yeah, it added to the story, you know? Hey, right. if, if you ever going to pretend to be Tony Stark? You want to I think it was the daily out? event. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so guys, um, I wanted to ask you, what did you guys change in your practices to get ready for after lockdown? It was very similar. I think the messaging, you know, you know, I am uh, like you, I'm, I'm very in tune to the marketing and, and immediately we dropped our ads and pivoted to, to doing nothing for a while because when there was no light at the end of the tunnel, I said, look, I'm not going to add noise where there doesn't need to be any noise. I don't want to just be like, hey, we're here just when, when this is over. So I just kind of went dark on people. And then when we finally started seeing indications of Georgia opening, you know, in my state and, and Miguel, to give you some idea, we, Georgia was pretty much one of the first states that started reopening uh, almost to its, you know, everyone was like, oh, you idiots, it's going to be, it's going to be horrible. You're all going to die. And we've actually had our numbers go rapidly down. Um, but, but we started, we started coming back on and turning our ads back on and it was just like you it was it was more of a psa announcement saying that dentistry is safe here's the things we've changed here's the things we've done for our team so it was just as much creating and i created a video around this so as much as a video creating a video from from the team safety as well as the patient safety um and then wrapping that in and some things like you mentioned some things are just for looks and marketing and i totally agree with you there's no sound you know um but perception is reality to, to patients and um, so we, we are still probably only doing that. So I'm doing COVID style marketing. If that's a, if, if I can coin that, um, based on safety and availability and no, letting people know we're here, but it's, and the appointment times are going to take a little longer, kind of like the slow dentistry model. Right. And, um, 
and and that's really that's really all that's changed and we hope to get back to normal but i don't think it'll ever look exactly like it did pre-covid i think there'll be some slight changes i don't think they'll be as draconian as they are right now but there will be some changes that 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 persist probably for the betterment of the profession i i agree and uh you know uh, bringing in the slow dentistry uh, we and every anybody who wants to download what i'm about to mention can just go to slowdentistry.com, go to the news section, go on the news segment. And one week into the COVID outbreak, two things happened. I published an article. So uh, if you go to miguelstanley.com or to slowdentistry.com to the news segment, it came out on the International Dental Tribune about uh, the, the slow dentistry and of course the COVID relationship. And that was translated into eight languages around the world. No and, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty well, well received. And but what we did was we wrote ten steps to fight cross contamination in the dental practice, and we came out with that. And uh, it's basically you can download it for free no at slowdentistry.com. And I'm happy to send that to you, the link, and you can put it wherever. But I'll go through them very quickly. So one, of course, regularly clean the floors. Uh, using the, the products. And if you think about it, hey, we've been doing that always, right? Mm -hmm. and, and also from top down. So high surfaces, first, low surfaces, second. Um, then disinfecting UPS packages. So mm -hmm. at the second day of lockdown, I had to come to the practice to pick up some things by myself, mask, you know, the whole thing. UPS guy walks through the door, no mask, no goggles, no gloves. Hey, how are you doing? Pulls out his filthy little thing and says, you know, I, I gives, gives me a pen. I'm like, seriously, a multi-billion dollar co company and you haven't, ex you know, it, 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 it actually upset me. I Maybe they were the vector, Miguel. <laughs> hey, let's not, get, let's, not, let's not look for a cease and desist here. I'm just uh, kidding. I know, but that, so we work Don't send me, bro. All of yeah, the that's exactly. Yeah, no, I love UPS. We love UPS. This Thank podcast you so brought to you by UPS when it UPS. absolutely positively has to be there overnight. <laughs> they are the FedEx. best. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. I love the brown. I love the brown uniform. It's just yes. timeless. And, uh, and, and by the way, if we plug it in, uh, let's go to DHL and uh, and uh, FedEx too. Come on, FedEx. FedEx. So, did you know there's an arrow between the X and the Fed? So, anyway, um, I think I love that. Yeah. We disinfected. So we have we created a space where they come in. So now when you come into our clinic, there's, you open the door, there's a, a shoe protection thing. We created independent boxes. So any patient comes in, they take off their jacket, so on and so forth. But I'll read it quickly. So disinfecting packages, opening the packages, and disinfecting what's inside the packages before it comes into the clinic. And that happens at the front door. You do not mm. take that box into the clinic because you don't know where it's been. You don't know who, who's handled it. More importantly, speak to your labs. Make sure that your labs are disinfecting the packages and everything before they put it in. All right? Mm -hmm. um, of course, all of the appropriate uh, PPEs that people have to wear according to governmental uh, uh, safety measures. We're currently using uh, washable, 50-cycle, uh, 60-cycle washable um, Beastie Boy monkey suits with the helmets, with the hood. Mm -hmm. Uh, we put in washing machines in the clinic so we can wash this for our staff. They cost about 40 bucks each. Um, and over that, we wear a disposable gown. 
all right, that we, depending on an aerosol generating or non-aerosol procedure, we will change. We will have a FPP2 or N, uh, a N95 mask on our face and over that a surgical mask. What did I learn? I learned that a well- You're hot as shit is what you learned. <laughs> yeah, I can't breathe. It's a hundred percent particle and a hundred percent oxygen. Your, it's fantastic. You letting your balls off is what you learned. You learned that the surgical mask, well fitted, is as effective as an N95. That was one of the big discussions that we had. Uh, what else? Um, that the the hand washing. What we've also done in our clinic is so uh, contactless uh, soap dispensers. We bought those day one. They're all over the clinic. Not only soap dispensers, but also hand gel dispensers. I mean, they're all over the place, uh, uh, contactless. Also, uh, we created, because we've got seven operatories, we've downsized one. So one, we don't, we don't even touch. Why? If anybody gets it for whatever reason, ah, we have a scare, they will be quarantined inside that room and until other message, you know, things are taken, uh, measures are taken. And what we have is like a traffic air controller system in the clinic. So all of our planning is done online. We've so we don't have a reception anymore. Everything's gone online. So the front desk is now virtual. Mm -hmm. So we have a doctor and our management staff talking to the patients about bookings. Patients stay outside. They do not come into the building until they get a, a, a call saying, you know, a text message saying, you can come in now. Mm -hmm. Do not come in with family members. You know, sometimes people come to the dentist, they bring their entire crew. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and crush your snack bar. So unless you are handicapped or a child, come alone. By the way, shower before you come. Don't wear, oh my fancy, God. Don't wear fancy clothing. I'm being serious, we're not, we're not don't wear fancy clothing. We were asking all of this. And of course, also asking people, we can measure your temperature. We bought one of those temperature guns. Uh, such things as um, of, uh, the, the mouth rinse. So we're doing H2O2, hydrogen peroxide, 10%, 50-50. Difference between- For two rinsing, minutes. Yeah, rinsing and gargling. We're asking to gargle, all right? Just that little mm. thing, because the virus uh, is a it, uh, it's stuck in the throat. So that's where it starts growing. Hmm. Moreover, after the H2O2 gargle, we're also asking patients if they're allergic to iodine and we have an iodine spray. So you can buy just um, like a disposable spray system or just put it in a cup. Do you use Betadine in America? Is it Betadine, the brand? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Betadine with a bit of water. That's also amazing. Just make sure that they're not uh, allergic to it. Uh, very, very good. I mean, we've been using it for sterilizing surgical fields forever. It's a really, really good, tastes terrible. Just when you thought impression material tasted horrible, hey, Miss Jones, have some of this. Have some betadine in your mouth. Check this. <laughs> Put some sweetener in it. Oh, geez. Put some sweetener. Yeah, you can make a be betadine margarita. It's really nice. Miguel, you can't polish a turd. Sorry. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> we were also asking, so uh, waiting room. Uh, one, one patient in the waiting room at a time. There are saying social distancing in the waiting room, but the only way that we feel we can come out of this is fewer people. So instead of working at 100% capacity, let's work at 60% capacity, at least until things die down a little bit. Yeah. 60% uh, is great because 
you know, hopefully that's break even, you know, uh, I'm happy right now if I'm doing break even. Anybody thinking they're going to be making a profit right now and being safe without, you know, I thankfully practicing slow dentistry for 20 years, we were seeing one patient per hour per unit. So we've got six, you know, seven units. That's eight hours, you know, eight times seven. That's the amount of patients maximum we'd ever receive a day, maximum. The average was about 32 patients a day on average for seven units for the past 10 years. Why? Mm. Just we want to, you know, and if you even think about it, if you're doing speed dentistry, high volume, you're not even affording the luxury of your doctors to have some mental relaxation in between the stress of all of this. So I think business owners really need to slow down and see fewer patients. Um, other things that we, we spoke about aerosols. So very interesting studies coming out of Chile uh, and uh, Eduardo Mann and who else was talking about, of course, uh, my, uh, Marcus Trolch from Germany, who I had the pleasure of doing a webinar with. He came out with a fantastic study. Um, I mean, more science and evidence uh, that you can research that I've ever seen. The guy's been crushing it. Marcus Trolch, a uh, really cool guy. Um, I believe that that is also on miguelstanley.com, that webinar. Um, you guys should definitely invite him for a podcast. Marcus, yeah. super, super cool guy from Germany. He sounds too smart for our podcast, Miguel. You are, you're borderline too smart oh, no. for our podcast. He'll sit down and have a gin and tonic while he's Okay, good. As long as he's cool. cool yeah. But having said that, we understood that the viral load in the aerosols isn't as big as you think it is. You understand? So yes, aerosols get in the air. But is the viral load in the aerosols as high as you would expect it to be? Of course, on a person that's COVID active, it's not a good idea, but you shouldn't be treating people with COVID active. You know, so if somebody's coughing or, you know, uh, got a fever, send them home. Don't even allow right. them to the practice, right? But I think the consensus of this roundtable that Christian Coachman put together with some of the thought leaders in the world, you'll be seeing this coming out. It was... Uh, Contamination Infection Control Roundtable. He put his he put his network out and got a bunch of really smart people together, and including Marcus Blatz from Penn and uh, Penn Penn University and a bunch of other guys. And <clears throat> pretty much uh, one of the consensuses was that the the, the aerosols uh, obviously are an issue, but how to reduce that is by having a second pair of hands. So coming back to the, the hygienists, most hygienists don't work with the second pair of hands. And I understand that for the business owner, mm -hmm. that boosts the costs. Well, but, or you could just isolate, right? Because yeah, you're saying second pair, pair of hands to, to do the high volume suction. But like, you don't have to have a second pair of hands. You can just get an isolate for your hygienist. That's also true. Yeah. That's also true. So, but all of these little things. And, and of course, we spoke about HEPA filters. That we got some of those at the clinic. I don't know if you guys have the, yep. the filters. We've got a, a, a few of those. Very difficult to order them because out of stock. But I think that that's going to be something huge. Smart disinfection technologies is going to be something big. I know a lot of tech companies are definitely investing in that. I know that some other companies are talking about disposable scanning tips for iOS scanners. Um, and then, you know, other things on this, these 10 steps are like contactless payment. You guys are very big in America with that. 
But we had very good response from our patients in doing prepayment, something that we were always scared to make to, to, to do. But for treatments that people know the cost of them, so hygiene appointments, uh, clear aligner appointments, um, you know, standardized first appointments, all of that was done prepaid. And the patient would only come to the clinic once payment had cleared. So that was a very, very good surprise for us because that's not normal uh, for patients to accept that kind of stuff. You know, it's my, it's my belief and my hope. Maybe, you know, when you want something really bad, you tend to convince yourself that it's going to happen. But I actually believe this whole thing goes away. The, the, the viral threat, um, it just kind of disappears. I really believe that. Um, I don't know if I, like I said, con myself to believe that. But one thing that I think will stick is, you know, all of us three as dentists, you know, we've been opening the, the bathroom doors with our elbows since we left microbiology class. We mm -hmm. have sat at dinner and had a friend come up whilst we're eating and put their hand out to shake our hand. Like, dude, I'm freaking eating sushi. I'm eating a hand roll right now. You really want to like give me a handshake? Like, and we give it because we don't want to be socially awkward. But we've had the, um, the blessing or the curse of knowing microbiology forever. We've known about this. We've been very conscious of grabbing things with our hands. The consumer just got all this, you know, quickly over the last eight weeks. And um, really, uh, I think there's going to be a halo effect on the practices that are modern. And you said 50-50 on science and advertising. There is, unfortunately, as we all know, and we all lament together, there is a massive disconnect of quality and perception in dentistry. If patients could only readily detect our commitment and our quality, the practices that should be busy would be busier and the practices that shouldn't be busy would be empty. But yeah. patients don't have that skill. But the consumer is going to be different. They're not going to frequent the hole-in-the-wall restaurant. You know how many times has someone told you, oh, it's an amazing Vietnamese place. It's down over there. Just don't be disarmed by the way it looks. It's really ratty, but the food is amazing. Or the dentist, he's, you know, no technology, but Sally the hygienist has been there for 30 years, and she's super sweet. And you walk and in there, it's like looks like the fucking Brady Bunch. Like, and the you know, it's like, carpet's what? really comfortable. Yeah, you know, the wood paneling, the dust bunnies on the wall, and the ceiling fan, and all that shit. No one's going to take that anymore. We so I think... We agree com completely, and I think one of the global consensuses coming out of this were this is going to do a, a, a control-alt-delete purge of practices that were doing substandard dentistry, that were being lazy, that were being complacent, that were focused only on volume. I mean, look, you know, you're, America is the greatest country on earth. It's got a dentistry is a capitalistic by design. It's a capitalistic industry. It's retail. It's retail. Period. Period. It's like the ones that offer the best service, the best price quality ratio with the best customer care, with the best longevity, with the best results win period. And as many touch points as you can get in terms of quality. So let's face it. The best clinic in the world is the one that sees one patient a day with five people around him. And it's a spot. But the cost of that is, you know, very high and has the best technology, whatever, whatever. So we all try and find a balance and a harmony of offering as much as we can for our patients. Well, it's your market so, segment. It's your market segment. There's room for Chick-fil-A and there's room for Morton's. But some clinics have understood that it's easier to sell the patients what they want, such as great prime real estate, great marketing, great service, great sales, Great, you know, super fast, super, but low on science and quality. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, that, that's a reality, and that's just a fact. Now, 
I think what's going to happen is that, and I've seen this in the last three days, I've had 10 patients in the last three days book appointments for the next weeks that let's say stopped coming to me to go to cheaper practices that let's say they were my clients started going to cheaper practices to do their hygiene and maintenance and blah, blah, blah. And they've now come back. And of course my team are like, well, why are you coming back? I know you guys are safer. Yeah, mm. I see that too. We're seeing that too. We're seeing a halo effect of our perceived safety. It's, we actually are safer, all of us. We've invested greatly in what we're doing and, you know, from air filtration and all the other stuff. Then we're all fogging our offices. We're doing it at the forefront, but I think the separation is going to be greater. There's going to be a greater um, differentiator in this, in this regard. Um, and I think but it's going to be great. I, Overall, it's going to be great for dentistry. I think that- Well, in America, it'll be great because everybody's flush with cash. We've been sitting on our asses getting checks for a while. Um, so there's going to be at least a temporary fuel to the economy. We've thrown a lot of gas in this fire, uh, long-term, you know, we, that's a whole other conversation, but for now it's, it, I think people are going to be flush. Explain um, you've been getting cash because we haven't. Well, um, so in, in our state for, as a small example, Florida has the dubious honor of, uh, one of the lowest unemployment re, uh, rates, uh, I'm sorry, lo, uh, lowest unemployment, ch- uh, amounts given to unemployed people. So it's typically $275 per week. Oh, just, just, you mean you haven't heard any about any of the money stimulus that's going to go, you're going real granular. No, I heard about the so. $2 trillion package that was signed. Yeah. So essentially yeah. that gave um, people money just to, you know, like stipends and bolstered their unemployment. And it gave business owners um, a, a, a thing called the PPP, the payment payroll protection program. So the thought is, is that they give this money out, they printed all these trillions of dollars and they gave it to business owners to keep their teams employed. So almost like taking your office and turn it into the local unemployment office. So yeah. even if you have people not working, they're getting paid. Which in is- addition to a stimulus check of just $1,200, in addition to- And there's, you know, there's, plus, there's, plus, legislature, plus. there's legislature for another $3 trillion in certain municipalities and certain uh, states they want to give people- $2,000 per person of the family per month. So in theory, there could be people getting eight to $10,000. And what it really did was during the unemployed time, people were, most Americans and small businesses were making more by staying home than by going to work. So it disincentivized people coming back to work. So the Yang gang was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, universal, yeah, universal basic economy, for sure. And Bernie got to drop out because Bernie's like, look, you know, my platform has already been initiated by the U.S. government. I don't need to be president anymore. Everybody's going to get free stuff. And we I mean, got, as, sorry, we we got offered specific bank loans, uh, mostly in Europe. So our we have a socialistic government here, which I don't like very much. But so we had to furlough our staff and still pay them thirty three percent of their salaries. With so how our, do you survive that? Okay, well. That's what we have to get into. I, I burnt through all, the company burnt through all of its equity or all of it. And that wasn't just here. That was in most European countries. And then we were granted. Couldn't you have let them go, Miguel, without having to pay? No, it would have been illegal. The condition of the furlough, it was called layoff. And it was illegal during the layoff to fire them. And so you sent all of them home and they'd have to go all home. And uh, you could keep one or two off if you didn't, but you'd have to pay them their full salary. And that was 33% of their salary. So that's a lot of money still. 
without any governmental support. What that was the governmental support. Moreover, yeah. rents in the so for March, taxes, rent, everything had to be paid in full. We had no forgiven of of taxes, so we'll still have to pay everything down the line. Moreover, um, business owners. If you were a co-owner of your business and you got a salary from your business, dividends or whatever, you would get no support from the government whatsoever. So it, there was a little revolution from small business owners like myself and so on and so on and so forth. And they were like, okay, well, you know what? We'll make access to loans very easy, but we'll lend you the money at 1.5%. Okay, it's good. It's a good, but guess what? When the banks went bankrupt 10 years ago, we gave that money that for them for free. But now, now we'll, we'll lend you the money at 1.5%. We applied for that a month and a half ago, still haven't seen a penny. Cue the Bitcoin conversation in three minutes, people. Cue the Bitcoin conversation in three minutes. Not, uh, not going to say anything, Craig. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm just messing around. But so that 1.5% loan, Miguel, what's the, am, what's, the am, what's the payment schedule, the amortization of that? How, many, how long do you have to pay that I, back? I, I, yeah, I, I, honestly, it can't be clear, but I think, you know, we, we want to do that in under five years, you know, but I, I could. Yeah, so for us, the payroll protection program is a 1%, uh, which is very generous, but we have a 24-month repayment. So I think the, the real wave of business failure, unfortunately, is yet to be seen. I think that I think a, lot- a lot of businesses, you know, but again, I look at industries like the hotel business, like the lecture business, the concert business, the restaurant business, business that require people traveling or, you know, those guys are going to suffer, man. We don't know. We don't know, Miguel. There could be some thing that comes out. Like I'm very perplexed right now about why there's certain areas that are being so hard hit. I, I mean, I'm sure we could take this into another podcast, but as a small example, my state is the third most populous state in the country of 21.4 million people. And we were acting like complete jackasses as a state. We were partying in March and the bars were packed. And I was texting my friend, his neurosurgeon in, in uh, Rome, and I was showing him videos uh, of my city in like mid to late March. And he's like, oh shit, you guys are going to be in deep, deep crap. And uh, now we rank 32 as far as caseload. So we're third most populous, but 32. And then there's something here that could it be pollution, you know, in these urban environments? Could it be the latitude? Could it be vitamin D? There's something, there's a lot of really interesting evidence about vitamin D and respiratory infections in the African-American community, at least in our, in our country, is being hit incredibly hard. Know, and know. we know that African-Americans, you know, due to the melanin that they, that they have in their skin, block a lot of the synthesis of vitamin D. So I, I'm so confused right now, but everything, all the models are being flipped on their head. So well, we've, we've been, we've been taking high doses of my family, my wife, my kids. Yeah. You put me on that proponent. I wound up taking that crap, the, the beehive stuff that you told me to do. I was taking all that. Yeah. And, and propolis and, and more propolis. Yeah. Propolis and, and moreover, uh, I've been doing personal. Oh, I thought you said Cialis. <laughs> no one. I, uh, I love that one. Propolis. Yes. I, okay. I've, I've been doing IVs of B12, magnesium, zinc, vitamin C, and injections uh, intramuscular of vitamin D, high doses, um, because there's a direct correlation between the vitamin D and your immune system. 
period. And uh, there's more than enough evidence to prove that. And you're completely right. The vitamin you know, you know what's interesting, by the way? You know what's very interesting, by the way, is that it, we have a very unhealthy population, unfortunately, in the States. I can't speak to Portugal, but we're, we, we are amongst the fattest and unhealthiest nation in the world, unfortunately. And we also have a climate where, you know, when you talk to someone about their weight or something about that, there's, there's like shame. So like fat shaming and everybody's entitled to do what they want. And, you know, the major debilitating diseases that take out hundreds of thousands of people kind of creep up on us very slowly. They walk towards us, you know, one minute per day type of, they, they approach us slowly. And then COVID comes around. And at least the data that I'm reading is that most of the people that suffer disproportionately from it have at least one comorbidity. So now you have basically a crisis that has been a crisis for you know decades of us getting fatter and unhealthier. But now COVID puts a bow on that and makes it very palpable. And I just, I just, I'm concerned that the government would have such an amazing opportunity right now. Like, hey, pandemics can be part of our new future. So now more than ever, get in shape, stop smoking, exercise. And no one's beating that drum right now. With, 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 with the lobby politics that you guys it's have. It's insensitive. With it's insensitive. It's offensive. It's offensive yeah. to tell a smoker not to smoke. Someone will get butthurt about that. Yeah, I, that's true. I, I think that that's, uh, you know, and you don't have to say because I'm from Europe, so they can't do nothing. But um, the, the amount of sugar you guys put in the foods and it's just. It's oh, my good God, man. But if you're going to go into this, you know, our constitution is, is, is very clearly written and what's being done in this country is really kind of would not hold up in Supreme Court. You can't arrest someone in this country for going outside and we have people getting that, ha that happening to them. Um, but if you're going to make us quarantine for being healthy, you know, why can't, why can't they arrest people for cigarettes at this point? It's, it's a very interesting constitutional inflection point for us as Americans. I know Europe is totally different, but you know, we're, we're, we have as our fundamental right, the right to liberty. And, and um, it's, it's an interesting time. I'm feeling like our country's divided very much. So if everyone's free, no one's free. It's a big, it's a big, if everyone's free. No one's free. How do you figure if everyone's free to do whatever they want? Oh, if you go to a party, imagine a hundred people at a party. And everybody's free to do whatever they want. It ain't going to be much of a party. <laughs> you know right. Well, we were, we were sold here in this country, this idea of flattening the curve, because we were watching what happened to you guys. And we were watching Northern Italy and Spain get their hospital yeah. systems overrun. So the conversation was very present to the amount of hospital beds and the amount of ventilators that we have. There was never this idea that we could stay in the house until it all fades. So we all kind of swallowed that pill of like, yes, let's flatten the curve, do your part, flatten the curve. Everybody was saying that. And then slowly and incipiently, the dialogue has changed now. It is no longer safe to go out until all this danger passes. And it's just a very interesting, I don't know when that changed, but we, we were all very aware of the flattening of the curve. But I can tell you, you know, we did the same thing here in Portugal. We had amazing response. It's a smaller country, only 10 million people. But they kind of that we went from state of emergency to state of something else, which is, you know, DEFCOM 5 to DEFCOM 3 or something like that. And Saturday, I went out with my kid on a bicycle. I have a little bicycle. She's three years old. And we went out. The amount of people out and about is, is going to be. Are you guys wearing masks outside? Not in public uh, social distancing, but yes, to go into a store. Yes, mm -hmm. to go into, you know, it, 
I don't know. But like I went to a friend's house the other day and I didn't wear a mask. But again, I'm not hugging anybody. I'm not shaking any hands. Uh, this is a contact transmission more than anything. So of course, you know, you don't, you don't want the, the guy's uh, spit droplets getting in your face while he's speaking, you know? So I think if you keep social distancing, you know, wash your hands repeatedly and just act, you know, safe should be okay. But again, it, this is an illness that affects people that are not healthy more than the ones that are. So there's a moral dilemma here, which is we're trained as a, as a, as a species to protect the frail and the old. And at the end of the day, this is an illness with a higher morbidity of the frail and the old. Mm-hmm. And you start hearing, you know, I watch the American news and you've got, you know, your Republicans down South saying, we, we, I'd rather die than shut down the economy. And I, I can understand that. I really can. I, well, there's, I can. Morbi- there's morbidity associated with, uh, with financial ruin. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's right. I actually think the flattening of the curve is good. But now that the hospitals and the ventilators and all of that, we know more about it, is stabilizing. I hope that we can get back to normal very soon. I'm not very happy about seeing news out of Wuhan and and South Korea that there's a second wave coming. I'm shit scared of a second wave because yeah. usually scar tissue is harder. Uh, than normal tissue and meaning the reaction of the governments of a second wave, if it comes, will be more violent than the first one. Oh yeah, you in Europe, you're done. They might even ban prosciutto for you guys. Oh shit. Oh, not oh, prosciutto, I'm sorry, I'm on Solano. I'm on Solano, I'm sorry. We're all married, right? We're, we're all married, right? So coming out of this, I have to say to all the people that remained married, respect man. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's, uh, 100%. it's uh, incredible. There's going to be a lot of COVID divorces. But oh, there, was, yeah. there was a lot of COVID divorces. And I was thinking, you know, these poor kids that have to go in between broken homes. And I just, I really felt, I felt heartbroken. You know, people that live in small apartments. Yeah. Uh, you know, certain ethnic groups, they live, you know, three generations. It's just a cultural thing under one roof. And, you know, you have to think about these people as well. And, you know, I just, I, you tend to look at the, your worldview through your own eyes and your own demographics. And it's normal. You vote for your own demographics and for what you want the world to be. But COVID kind of like said, hey, we're a species. And what it did was put all of our collective weaknesses as a species in play. And my wife said something this morning that, uh, my wife's a model, and and uh, I don't I don't really expect her to say these genius things. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> she, she shouldn't be listening to this. She's gorgeous, by the way. I'm saying this on purpose because she never listens to anything I do. You're just yeah, my, our wives the same thing. Our Peter's and my wife were together. We were on vacation together, and we were talking about the book. And they don't give a shit about any like what book. I'm like the book we wrote. Oh yeah. I'm like I, I talked. To, I talked to my wife. I'm like, do you want to read it? She's like, baby, I listen to you all the fucking time. I don't need to read that. I know what you're going to say. I'm like, <laughs> exactly the same. But anyway, she said something today, which is very interesting. She said, with this COVID, she's been from day one a proponent to get out and about. She said that self-isolation should be a decision. You know, if, you know, should be a decision, basically. If you don't want to get sick, stay home. If you, if you don't mind. But of course, that's after the curve is flattened. You know, I understand that 
Yeah, we didn't know. We didn't know what we were dealing with. The optics we had, who knows? She said that what this virus has done now that the, the, let's say that the acute phase of the pandemic is slowly dwindling down and people want to get back to work, you actually see who likes to produce, who is creative, who's generating money and who's sitting back and just waiting to get, you know, who, Mm -hmm. who prefers to stay at home and who wants to go out to the front lines and, and generate. And from a, you know, almost like who's a capitalist and who's a socialist and the people that say, Oh no, no, we should stay at home. Yeah, man. Are you paying the bills? <laughs> yeah. And it's That's the people great that are comment. paying the bills. I love your wife. You know, that are out on the front line, not because we're heroes. We got bills to pay, man. I got nobody. I've got nobody to bail me out, you know, and it's not a question of, you can call it, Oh, I want to get back and save my patients. And of course that's, of course, of course we want to get back to normal. But if we don't get back to normal, a lot of people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah. You know, we've got impact interest, interest rates. We, we've, we have to get back to normal. We've it's the human life. spirit, just for on spirit. When, yeah. when the whole thing first happened, I had a very aspirational goal because going into this, everybody had a, was a special interest, whether your gender identity or sexual preferences or your skin tone or whatever, there was just so much division. I had an aspirational goal that going through COVID, it's like, okay, here's God putting this virus that doesn't give a crap what you consider yourself. You're, you're part of the human species. You're one race. The rest is just semantics. And through it, the, the media, government, what have you in this country has managed to turn this completely political, completely political. It's literally divided right down the center. So if you're, one, if you're on one side of the political aspect of this country, you believe in shutting the country down completely. You know, you, everybody's, it's not safe to venture out of your house. Government will take care of you. Don't worry. More money's coming. Don't worry about it. Here's money. And the other side, it's like, I don't want your money. Give me my freedom. Let me work. And I don't need your money. And it's, very, it's a very interesting thing. And it's, it's more divisive. I'm sorry? I'm a letter on that one. I want to get back to work. I want to... Yeah. Dying to be that. Well, you'd be, you'd be called a redneck if you were here then. You'd have yeah. to move to Georgia. Yeehaw. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, 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 um, it's, it's scary. It's been an incredible, an incredible journey to go through this as a species. I think it's gonna, I hope, uh, you know, I, I, I'm saddened to see the politicizing of this, you know, and you start thinking about refugees. I mean, Everybody, I don't know if you know, but in, in, you're protected by this huge ocean. So, but all of the wars that happened in the Middle East, the displacement of refugees from Syria and Afghanistan has been huge. And, you know, there's a lot of pushback from Western, Northern European countries saying, we don't want this here, you know. And then you start. I didn't thinking, realize that, but that makes sense. You know, and you start thinking, hang on, if I live in a place where there's a COVID outbreak that is not thick. I want to go to a place where there's no COVID outbreak. Of course. I would be the person to do that, right? With my family, like tomorrow, New Zealand or something, you know? But, um, and it, I, I think that, I don't know, this is put a mirror against humanity, you know? And I think, it, I hope that a lot of people are doing some introspection and understanding And I just hope, I mean, we've really messed up our planet with politics and war and bullshit and stuff. And, you know, if you think about it, look at how the planet has healed itself, the ozone layers, the pollution levels, all of that gone down, dolphins in the canals of Venice. I saw Uh, that. 
And you start seeing that probably one third of the global economy is irrelevant. Whatever it produced is irrelevant. You don't need it. You understand? And thankfully as dentists, this is a dental podcast. Dentistry is safe. It's everybody's going to need us, you know? So that's a great thing. And by the way, all the people that you've been watching and recommending work, you have such a great verbiage for, you know, let's take care of this problem. Well, you know, it's really not bothering me. Yes, but what about the last pandemic? Remember that back at, way back in 2020? Oh, yeah. At any given moment, you could be confined to your house and you'll have to deal with pain. So this is about take care of this while you have the opportunity to take care of it because things can happen. Pandemics, wars, things, you can get sick. Nothing worse than having being sick or having some disease process and your teeth freaking hurt you. I mean, yeah. take care of what we have the opportunity to take care of it. And I, I do hope one thing that I put out there is that companies, dental companies should get together and create a fund. And I'm, I've mentioned this to CEOs of companies. Instead of fighting each other, create a fund, put 1% of your marketing budget in this fund and market the importance of dentistry to humanity. I and wish. Not just the importance of dentistry, but how it should be done properly. Nobody's done that. And I think that that's something that I would love to see happen. Would it, it would be beneficial for everybody, you know? And well, it I mean, it's, it's the direct-to-consumer marketing. It's why Invisalign had such market advantage and why Smile Direct Club took off. I know we were always left, you know, Strawman is a wonderful implant company, but I'll pick on them. They have a premium implant that they were the leaders. And I was like, but we had to do the, the heavy lifting early on. We had to tell people the reason why I can't do your implant for that, that price down the street is because we're using blank, blank, blank. But I mean, if the dental, if the dental agencies or American dental association would do, I mean, the only email I always say this to Pete, the only email I get from the ADA is how to save money on like Hertz rental cars. And like, I don't need you to be my fucking travel agent, ADA. I need you to stand up for us. I need you to protect us. And we don't have that. So I think, you know, if this, if this provides the impetus to shake up the industry and recognize that we need protection, I mean, for God's sakes, we have people doing dentistry without a license on a national level and no one cares. I mean, if I, if I move people's teeth and hurt them, I'm going to lose my license. And for companies to be doing things that are outside the purview of dentistry, multiple companies now, and them not to be held liable. It's, it's, it's really disturbing. And, and something that is also, you know, de as dentists, you know, we're pretty much in the same age group. I, I graduated with the ultimate fear of catching HIV AIDS uh, yeah. in the chair. So we were the first, pri you know, dental, we were the first medical professionals to always use gloves, masks, and uh, and protective eyewear. We've been doing it for 30 years. We were the first ones to do it. So um, now with all of these extra layers of PPE, I started thinking early on in this discussion, the one ubiquitous, cheap, affordable mechanism, PPE, to stop you contracting HIV was the condom. And yet still the epidemiology of the usage of the condom currently is lower than you would expect it. There's actually studies out there that show that. So you would die from contracting HIV back, you know, 20 years ago, and you still, it's a life-threatening illness today, yet young consensual adults still don't use it. Mm. Sexually transmitted disease are at an all-time high in many, many countries around the world. And it's something so easy to use. How the hell are we going to win this 
mm-hmm. moving forward with all of these layers of protection. And I'll give you another example of dentistry, the rubber dam. No one uses a rubber dam to do, rubber, uh, to do root canals or restorative around the world. Why? Because it takes a little bit of extra time. That's why we've been advocating this as slow dentistry for such a long time. It doesn't cost any money. It just takes a little bit of extra time. And if we failed at the condom and at the rubber dam, understand my analogy, I really think that all of this craziness and all of this legislation goes against our human nature as a species, which is to be lazy as hell. Of course, man. Of course. Human. I mean, have you read the book Sapiens, by the way? We are the virus. We've screwed up everything in this entire planet. But like the condom, PPE will be worn the same way. It'll be worn for the beginning and then stripped off halfway through. Because you'll be so, <laughs> you know, so people are going to treat their condoms and their PPE the same way. They're going to walk out with their N95 mask and their face shield. And then they're going to be hot as hell. And the patient, they're going to be running behind. I'm talking about weeks to come. And it's all going to go by the wayside. I really do believe that. I, I agree 100%. And Here's what I'm going to just put out there and uh, we can discuss this at another time, but I am hoping that my wife doesn't like that. I have this idea and she hates it when I put ideas out into the universe, but I'm hoping that some things that we wear will have artificial intelligence in it that will, or smart surfaces, smart technology that can connect to consumer apps or devices that can monitor that certain steps of a procedure were taken in terms oh, of interesting. Yeah. patient protection, meaning. Well, you need a smart condom too. That way people could be well, like, hey, I got pregnant. No, look at the app. It was very clear that the condom was on. In terms of, of litigation, insurance companies, medical fraud, uh, uh, medical negligence, so on and so forth. Nobody wants to be controlled, but let's face it. 80% of dentists around the world do not practice science-based dentistry. They do not. It's, it's, it's more like craft work than dentistry. Of all right? I, I'm being serious, it, it, it yeah. looks right, but it's not. Why? Because of economies, there's a hundred things and they're doing their best to provide for their families and their communities. I'm not even going to discuss that. But the science is very clear. There are steps, rules, and regulations to practice quality dentistry in 2020. And 2020 dentistry is different than 2010 dentistry, than 2000 dentistry, than 1980s dentistry. And if you're practicing 1980s dentistry in 2020, you probably should be out of practice. Yeah, with your green sterilizer. I mean, the Cleveland Clinic's got a great model. It's results-based. You know, so it's like the insurance companies can realize that when they get an ep- when you get an appendectomy at the Cleveland Clinic, there's this amount of hospital stay time, there's this amount of comor- uh, you know, nosocomial infections, and this amount of recovery, and, and they can get higher reimbursements based on the recovery. So imagine if insurance companies did the same thing, like the average crown that this office does, we're going to pay them higher because we don't get another code for that for 15 years. So we know that there's a lot of artificial intelligence companies out there. We have the technology already to feed it, CBCT, x-rays, and iOS scanning. It exists already. So I think it's a small leap. And I don't know if you know the IDS in Cologne. It's much like the midwinter. It's the biggest trade show in the world. Uh, It's where all of the new products come out. It's in March. It will be March 2021. I'm expecting to see a lot of smart technologies, Mm -hmm. new surfaces, smart surfaces, quality control, safety measures, 
uh, uh, wearables that will communicate with the patient in terms of safety. And despite not wanting to be controlled at work, I think that most dentists will actually have to. So I think my parting message is this is the best, best time ever to invest in doing the right thing to yourself, your patients, your team, to science, to the evidence, and to be a real dentist. And unfortunately, everything I learned is that if you do this, you'll probably make less money than if you don't. And I know that that hurts a lot of people that are business-minded, but what you will have is longevity. You will have uh, more success in the long run. Do you understand? Yes, yeah, so yeah. trade your short-term greed for long-term you, greed. Get rid slowly. Be, you will be the leader in your community. And when the next crisis comes, you'll still be in business and right. still be in business and still be in business. And that's, I guess, what I'd like to impart in everybody that, you know, it's not about how to survive the next six months or year, but we're all young enough to think this is going to happen again. Hopefully it doesn't, but how are we going to prepare for the next 20 years? And it's definitely not with making mistakes of the past 20 years. It's by improving everything. And I think unlike the past 20 years, artificial intelligence is going to be a big part of dentistry. 100%. And it will definitely oversee quality and it will be patient centric. Make no mistake. I believe that too. Yeah, augmented reality, VR, AI, big learning, it's all gonna have its overlay into the industry for sure, for the benefit of the patient and to the, and to the increase of the, of the clinical acumen of the provider. It's all coming guys. Now, oh, that's awesome. Again, we've had the longest long, pa- <laughs> a, a, a very long chat. I'm super, I love this man. I, I'm, can we do this on a regular basis? I just, yeah. We should. I, well, if, yeah, we can. We don't even have to record it. We could just talk. I absolutely, absolutely love it. You guys look fantastic. I'm, my wife is making ribs. I'm going to go nice. home. Nice. Nice. Port, Portuguese ribs? Or like a more like barbecue? barbecue. We, go, we go as American as possible, but we mm-hmm. use we use acorn fed black pork. Uh, pata negra, right? Pata negra, which is wow. a, it's a fattier uh, pork. So the, the, the pig is only eaten acorn. Yeah. And, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. We're talking. No, it's we're amazing. Peter, wait yeah. Till you oh yeah. Pata negra, jamon serrano. Oh, so good. See, I Miguel like- and I, Miguel and I actually, Peter looks at food like fuel. He does not have derive any pleasure from it. So whenever we're traveling, remember when we were in uh, Canada, Miguel and I are in Canada and we're like at some reception, there's a buffet line. I'm like, dude, I hate to say this, but can we get the hell out of here? And like, there's a sushi restaurant. And like, you would have thought that like we, there was a wait at the sushi restaurant that wouldn't let us in. And I said, listen, can I get like, you know, a magnum of Desai 15? And they brought it to like, we're sitting like where the coat check is. And we just got hammered, drank a magnum of like sake. And you would have thought we won the lottery like that because food means so much to Miguel and I. Remember how good that was? That was insane. That was an amazing, amazing evening. Oh, it was so much fun. I can't wait, I can't wait to go out to a restaurant again. And uh, listen, guys, thank you for keeping the energy positive and it being an inspiration. I'm, you're my favorite, favorite people to talk to um, you know, in the U.S. about anything and globally. It's always fun. Um, you know, only, only Christian, uh, who's been doing his coffee with coachman. I don't know if you've been following that. He's been doing such an amazing job as well. 
And yeah, I love Christian. We got to get Christian back on the podcast. Love him. And, you know, I, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, the world needs thought leaders like you guys, upbeat, positive, real deal. I'm really, really appreciative of having me on again. No, but we'd say the same back to you, bud. You're a, you're a good beacon of, uh, of leadership for the industry. Absolutely. Right. You know what? When all this madness and we can travel again, can we do this on stage perhaps? Yes, we're yeah. going to do the European so, tour. We're going to be the European tour. Bulletproof yeah. and slow dentistry. How about Yeah, that? brother. I love it. Yep. All right, man. Enjoy those ribs. Thanks, my brothers. Thank you. Take yeah. care of your families. Bye-bye. Take care. See you guys.